0: Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your hosts, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast, and we are back for another Monday. I'm back for my first reenactment since last January. We will cover that next week's episode because, well, we have far more important things to talk about with our guest tonight but before we get to our guest tonight as always joining us from texas jeff copsetta jeff how you doing tonight sir
2: oh man i'm just rolling
1: (laughs) rolling and ready to go and the one and the only mr henry sledge henry how are you doing tonight friend
0: Oh, doing fine man glad to be here as always
1: i think i'm gonna let you take the pleasure to introduce our guest tonight
0: absolutely so tonight we're really happy to have my good personal friend adam makos join us adam and i have known each other since what adam 2009 when we got hooked up uh, when you guys were ramping up for the pacific um we did some cool things together i have a lot of fond memories of the friendship we forged the work we did together and it's just great to have you in here with
3: us henry thank god for the pacific because it uh it shined light on that forgotten theater. It gave us new heroes and Hey, it brought you into the world war two community like it has. And so beyond our friendship, it's been really awesome to, to see you, you know, carry on your dad's legacy. So I'm, I'm thankful to know you and uh, I admire what you're doing.
0: Well, Likewise, man. So gosh, I mean, where do we even start? Yeah. What do you, is there anything particular, you know, you've obviously got devotion about to hit the, the silver screen. Uh, working on new stuff, Jeff. You want to kick off with a question here?
2: Oh, certainly. Uh it's going to be a little bit of a story leading into a question, uh just to give uh, Adam some background of why I'm just uh such a big fan of what you've been doing. Um uh, I my first it, my introduction to you was from my brother. He said, "Man, I'm reading this book and it's you're going to love it. It's about B17s. It's just this amazing story." He said, "You're not going to believe it." And I'm thinking, how did my brother hear about this book before I did? <laughs> is what He's I was flipping. thinking. And uh, so it, he was listening to it on his way to where he was an audio version of it. And uh, but he couldn't remember the name of it when he was telling me he had listened to it months before. Um, I was up back in, in Jersey visiting him. I'm, I'm originally from New Jersey. And uh, I said, well, when you find the title, or if you remember, you know, let me know. It sounds really compelling. You know, I, I'd love to read it. And obviously, he was talking about a higher call. Uh so I immediately ordered the book. And I was in the I was reading something else at the time, but I got to it was the next book. I kind of bumped it up the list. And I'm glad I did because that has really changed a lot for me. You know, I've read hundreds of books. And you know it's a good book. When you remember where you were at when you were reading it, you know, you kind of have that connection. It could be 10 years. I mean, I remember some of the books that I was reading when I was in Baghdad, right? And, and as Dynamic as that situation was, I still remember some of these important books. And a higher call was certainly one of those important books. And um, not just the story itself, I think, Adam, but just um what you've been able to do. I think you and I are well, you know, you were from that area too, right? And I, I think I feel like we're about the, you know, similar in age and passion. Um, and to hear you mention these air shows and um Oscar Bosch, the, the name Oscar Bosch comes up in your forward there. And, uh, I've mentioned on the show before I got to spend an afternoon with that man in an air show in 1998 and how that just was, you know, some, it's an unforgettable experience. And, uh, so I guess really my, my first question is, um, how, I mean, I kind of know a little bit of the backstory, but what is that one moment for you where you went to, uh, or when you went from kind of that, just a big history buff as a kid to being somebody now, you know, who's really looked upon as somebody who, not just a good storyteller, but a good researcher, somebody who really puts so much into their work um, to, you know, to be the name that you've, that you've created for yourself, Uh, you know, is there, is there something that happened where you can say this was a fork in the road where this is what led me to what I'm doing today?
3: You know, Jeff, I think with every book, there is that, that moment. And uh, with A Higher Call, that was my first book I ever wrote. And, And I can remember exactly where I was when it took place. Just like you said, you can remember sometimes when you've read a good book where you were for me, it was, I had, graduated from college and it was like a friday night i was living in small town pennsylvania probably bored out of my mind um and i'm sitting at my computer at nine o'clock at night and i'm kind of just the internet back in those days is the kind that would be all scratchy and and i'm reading about charlie brown and Franz stiegler and i wrote this letter that night because i was a journalist working for a homemade magazine at the time And I wrote to Charlie Brown and I said, Dear Mr. Brown, you know, I'm writing this magazine. I'd love to interview you. And I put it in the mail and kind of that was my night. Well, a week or two later, I get a phone call and it's Charlie Brown. And he said, Adam, I looked at your magazine. I like your magazine. He said, You've got one thing wrong about your approach. You want to talk to me. You want to come to Miami and see me. You want to talk on the phone. He said, You're going about it all wrong. He said, I'm just a character in this story. The hero is the German. And I can still remember that conversation. I can still remember just being a kid in my bedroom. I was probably, I don't know, 23 years old, talking to Charlie Brown. And he's challenging me to expand my World War II horizons beyond just what I knew from Memphis Belle and what I knew from 12 o'clock high, what I knew from my grandfather and what I knew from an air show. He's saying, you've got to go into uncharted territory and you've got to You've got to be brave and you've got to learn about something other than what you like and what's convenient. And that was, do you want to talk to Franz Stiegler? And if you do, he's at the, he's kind of, he wasn't doing so well health wise. He said, he's not going to come to you. And I don't think you're going to be able to talk to him over the phone. He said, you have to go there. So suddenly I'm flying from Pennsylvania to Vancouver, Canada. And I'm getting a taxi to the little community of Surrey where Franz Stiegler and his wife, Haya, were living. And next thing you know, I'm sitting down across from this German. And on the way, I was, I brought this book about JG 27 in the desert. And I'm reading about Marseille and I'm trying to learn what a gush water is and what's, 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 what's all this stuff. And it was a crash course. But then I sat down with Franz Stiegler and I remember he said to me, thank you for coming. What is it you would like to know? And it's like big open-ended question. I'm like, well, Franz, I'm here for, I'm here for seven to 10 days. So, uh. You know we'll just uh we'll start with your boyhood and we'll work our way through it but you know i never really get to i never pat myself on the back very much people say oh you did a great job on this book and i always think yeah I, I i i did my part of the book i wrote it i did my job um but really without that fork in the road without guys like charlie brown Franz stiegler tom hudner Clarence schmoyer if these guys didn't open their door to me, if they weren't the gentlemen that they are, I wouldn't have even had a chance to step to the plate. So I always look at it as a team effort. It's almost 50% them, 50% me. I'm just the one sitting at the keyboard late at night.
2: Well, you bring up a great point. And I think all of us probably feel the same way that have, you know, the uh the passion that we have and the respect and the honor for that generation um you know i i felt similar in your position a lot of times where people thank me for what i'm doing and it's like what are you talking about you know it's it's about them this is not you know it's not about us it's about them and um but it also takes somebody you know like yourself uh, not anybody can do what you do and it definitely takes somebody like you to you know i would who, who who's charlie brown without uh, me and probably a lot of people that read that, but would have never heard his story um, so uh what what good is it at that point if a hundred years from now it's it 's forgotten, and now you uh, have immortalized it in a way and it's, and kept it going and i just I really respect that because you know, like I said, just growing up as a Memphis bell twelve o 'clock i you know you, you mentioned that like that 's just me all over um, and having the opportunity to uh, to, to reenact. And of course, now I, I direct a museum that's not as fun as it sounds, <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's, it's a difficult position. Um, and, and being a high school teacher now as well, um, is allowing me those opportunities to also make sure that we are reaching, um, you know, the next generation, reaching our youth, making sure that this stuff does stay relevant. And again, the way you have told that story, um, you know, I've read so many books about the subject, but it was fresh. It was new and it was compelling. And, and so I I think you deserve a huge pat on the back. Um, yes, without them, we wouldn't have the story and without you, we wouldn't have heard it. So well done.
3: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And and relevance is uh, the last thing I'll just say to add on to, to Jeff's comment is, uh, I remember when World War II wasn't relevant, and I was a uh, I was a kid in middle school at the time, you know, fourteen years old, fifteen, and I, I read these books about the Flying Tigers, and I would t- try to tell my friends, "Hey, have you have you seen a P fifty one Mustang? And did you see Empire of the Sun where the Mustang came over and he says Cadillac of the Sky and and all this stuff that spoke to me, even if we're talking Where Eagles Dare or Kelly's Heroes, any even the the silly stuff, you know. Nobody was there to talk to me about it. Nobody cared. In the the late 80s, early 90s, World War II didn't exist. Even when the Gulf War rolled around, World War II was a past memory. And so I was living through those years where it was frustrating and you felt like the past had been completely forgotten and it was never coming back. No kid in America would ever know what a a Tiger tank was. And, you know, that was a tough time because relevance – it wasn't relevant. And and there's something inside of all of us that, that love this stuff that the lack of relevance is irritating. It burns you up. It's 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 the opposite of how things should be. And so when Saving Private Ryan comes out in the greatest generation, World War II gets a revival. Suddenly I was really cool because I was sitting in a place where I had loved this for so long, I had studied it for so long, I had kind of cut my teeth, writing these stories for nobody. And now suddenly there's people who are gonna listen. And so I feel like the last 20 years, last 25, last 30 years have been an absolute gift, and it's um, more than we could ask for. So now we just have to do our part to kind of stoke that fire and keep it going. But, hey, um, thank God it happened.
1: And to your point, around that time, the movies that Hollywood were making were all Vietnam-based. At Hamburger Hill, you had Platoon, you had Full Metal Jacket. Um, So even in the 70s and 80s, if there were any interest towards military stuff because of what Hollywood was putting out, it was all Vietnam based. And then you rolling into the early 90s, you had the if there's anything remotely aimed towards kids, you're looking at Iron Eagle. And well, (laughs) we'll not go down that route. So, yes, it wasn't until, you know, Save It Private Ryan came out that, you know, the spotlight finally got redirected on on this particular uh, era and um, war. And um, I think a lot of us feel the same way because. You know, being a living historian and a reenactor, I never understood why a lot of reenactors, you know, they kind of frown a little bit on the Band of Brothers because they're like, well, you know, after Band of Brothers came out, everybody came out here in, you know, 101st Airborne outfits. It's like, yeah, but we're all out here because we all claim we want people to learn about history and remember history. Nothing made people remember history more than Band of Brothers and Save It Private Ryan. And so, you know. I think it was a godsend that those things were put out because let's, let's admit if it wasn't for that, um, it probably, we wouldn't have all the, these great productions that we've seen in the you know last 10, 15 years.
3: Don, as you went through that list of iron Eagle and <laughs> what came to my mind, Rambo. Yeah. I mean like that, if that describes oh, yeah. the eighties, you know, oh, yeah. it, Not, it, it's Rambo. I mean, it's just, he's fighting in Afghanistan. It's, it's uh, ridiculous and, and I'm a big fan of of Hollywood when they do their job right. Um, well, let's not forget Commando
1: with Arnold Schwarzenegger and a young Alyssa Milano.
3: <laughs> all that, you know, they were even, you know, there was there was years of Predator and all that stuff and Aliens, but but there was just something about the, that era that nobody was wanting to get serious yeah. about life and 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 the past and and to study the past, I think you have to be a little serious and you have to be introspective and you have to say how why do I have the life I do and and uh, how, what did that cost? You know, you have to go deep. And when Hollywood does go deep for us, I think it's a good thing. Um, that's why I'm a really a big fan of devotion. I'm a big fan of uh, trying to get these books made into movies, not because they're inadequate, but because um, Hollywood shows us it's the closest thing, aside from our own imagination when we read a story, it's the closest thing to, to what it might have looked like for those guys. And so kudos when they do it right. And, um, yeah, I'm a big fan. We could talk war movies all
1: night. Well, it,
0: and it also reaches so many people that because yes. a lot of people aren't going to sit down like we will and read a book.
1: No, especially, you know, but they'll
0: watch a movie.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think the attention span is a little scary of, um, people today. It's, it's <clears> social media is not helping that. And, and so, yeah, I, I do worry about that at times as an author, um, devotion as a movie, uh, I'll say, you know, it's a two hour movie. And you get a good little lesson in the Korean War, and I think it's gonna it's gonna speak to to some 14 year old kid who's never seen a corsair before, yeah, never heard of the Chosen Reservoir, and uh, and so I think that movie is gonna do its part, and um, so yeah, even though it, it's easy sometimes to to second guess Hollywood, I always said why didn't they make Saving Private Ryan a true story? You know, I'm sure they could have told the story of Bob Slaughter. I'm sure they could have told the story of Len Lamel. I mean, come on, tell Len LaMille's D-Day story. That's that's a Ranger story there. Um, these are, these on are heroes that we've brothers. had a chance to know and, and, and cross paths with. So when Hollywood m- takes the chance to make a war movie, but they don't make it about a real story, that's when I think they're missing something. Because, you know, there's there's enough real heroes. Those of us who have studied this know that there's, countless stories that are better than fiction mm-hmm. and they deserve to be told. So I'm just glad that that we've got a movie coming out this November that's um, that's got the real names of the real guys in it. And that's always a risk. When a movie makes... Uh, when they go and they they actually can cast real characters, they're taking a risk. And, and that's why Hollywood avoids it. It's so much easier to make wind talkers and to just make some amorphous <laughs> Navajo code talkers and some, some grizzled old gunny sergeant and and say okay there you go now you're learning about the code talkers but you know why didn't they make it Chester Nez you know why didn't they make it the real story of a real wind talker um so part of the reason is I think sometimes Hollywood thinks they're smarter than us they can create something better than reality other times I think it's a a risk thing gosh you know are we going to get catch are we going to catch hell from the families are we going to get this right and it's easier just to say okay let's go make something fake so I, when you do get a real war movie, it's almost really like once in a decade. I
1: was gonna say you enjoy it. I was gonna say you're getting too much credit, but you just said it. it's easier to make. I was gonna say you're getting too much credit. It's easier just to hire someone to make something up out of thin whole cloth than it is to actually hire researchers and make sure it's accurate. So yes, it's it's more of a lazy thing. Let's just let's make something up based off of what we heard and, and run with it. And you're in good company because we all feel the same way about talkers, No. Good. <laughs> When you're interviewing, uh, you know, veterans and people who were there, obviously, they they outline stories, missions, and they tell their tale and their memories and their ideas of it. For people who are listening who maybe want to get into researching, whether it's to improve their impression and living history, or maybe they themselves want to get into writing, whether it's for magazines, websites, or books. When you're in that situation where you're interviewing, you know, gentlemen like you were, did with Charlie Brown and... And the uh, German. Um, what's your first step on, okay, I, I got their, their stories, I got the outline, but there's, there's clearly obviously going to be gaps that you got to fill in, whether it's logistical stuff, dates, mission names, people who are involved, depending on the book. What is your first step and where's your first place you go when trying to obtain the information needed to fill in those gaps to, to provide the history and, and to complete the story?
3: Well, I I learned some of these things the hard way and the first incident that comes to mind is when I went to interview fighter pilot named Robin Olds. Robin Olds was a World War II fighter pilot. I don't think he flew in Korea, I can't remember, and then he flew in Vietnam where he was he was I he was uh I believe he was an an ace, but I don't think he got credit for being an ace. He really shot down five, but they didn't they didn't register it, right? But um I went to interview Robin Olds and I still obviously don't know his story well enough but uh robin was um he just looked like like a linebacker even at age like 85 i mean he was an imposing guy and i went to washington dc because he he was going to be doing a talk and his his world war ii um his mustang and his p38 before that had a name of scat and i went up to him and he said all right let's talk and this is after he does his speech and i said well general old's um Let's talk about uh, your aircraft, uh, Scat the Third. Uh, What gave you the inspiration for that name? And he just kind of like got icy and he just looked at me and he was like, if we're going to do a talk like this, do your homework first and don't ask me questions like that. You know, you got to know where my, you know, don't waste my time on stuff like that. It was something like that. And at the time I was like, wow, I don't like that guy. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, I come home and I grow up 10 years later, 20 years later. And then I start to, I run into Robin Olds again out at another event. And he's really cool. And I'm in a different place. And I learned from him that day. I learned that uh, don't walk into this stuff blind. You know, if if you're going to, if you're going to take somebody's hour of their life, you know, know why they named their plane what they did. And um, the other story I've learned the hard way I interviewed, um, gosh, I interviewed Len Lamel, I believe it was, at a ranger reunion, and he was one of my heroes. And I always thought I'd have forever with these guys. I always thought, okay, well, I'll talk to Len here, and then I'll talk to him tomorrow. And then he lives in Tom's River, New Jersey. I'll go see him there. And I spent the whole hour I had with him just starting with the questions about training and you know, growing up, he was an orphan growing up and da-da-da-da in da, 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 his background. And before you know it, somebody knocked on the door and they said, hey, uh, Len, we need you down here. We're doing something at the reunion. And he had to go. And I never got that chance again. You know, he went home, our paths never crossed, and we lost Len. And he was a dear friend. But I learned very quickly, you've got to cut to the chase. Everybody knows who's ever talked to a World War II veteran. If you start with so tell me when you were born and what was it like growing up in the Great Depression? There's the end of your interview. You might as well just close your laptop, turn off your thing. You know, you could almost just doze off because, you know, the next hour is going to be spent with stories that are absolutely superfluous to what you need. You really want to get to, Len, what was it like when the Higgins boat pulls up and you've got fire ladders going up Point the Hawk and guys are shooting Lewis guns and and you've got to climb up there with D Company? You know, that's where I should have started the story. A lot of people make those mistakes. And, and I made them and I learned the hard way. Luckily, I made them as a kid. So now I can do a little better as an adult. And the last lesson, you know, I took from a lot of the research and writing, actually, I haven't taken this lesson yet. But I, I met Stephen Ambrose once. So it was kind of funny, we were hosting an event, I've never actually told this story. But we were hosting a Collins Foundation bomber fly in, which was crazy, because we were just kids at the time, you know, we're, we're, 17 years old and we can barely drive and we found out that the Collins foundation respected the work we were doing myself my brother my friend joe and they said we'll come to your town here's what you got to do you got to get us rental cars you got to get us hotels, you got to get us media and we said okay we can do all that and we did we got them all that and they brought their bomber. so suddenly we're kids with a b-24 b-17 and we also i think called somebody and got a b-25 So we're kids with warbirds on the tarmac of our local airport. And uh, we got a call about a week before the event saying, um, Dr. Ambrose would like to come to your event. Turned out Stephen Ambrose was writing his book, The Wild Blue, and he wanted to fly on a B-24 to kind of complete his research. And of all the tour stops the Collins Foundation does in a year, let's say 120, he came to ours. And so he steps off this private jet, and we're like these kids. And Stephen Ambrose is there. Now, Band of Brothers is about, you know, a year from coming out. It's filmed. And I got to hang out with him for a couple of days. And he took us aboard the Bomber with him. And he gave us a chance. We were kids, but he gave us a chance. And I think anybody that's living history, they know that really well, that the kids are the future. And you've got to give them a chance. You've got to answer their stupid questions. You've got to encourage and nurture. And he did that for us. and so. I can really say Stephen Ambrose was a mentor in the early days, and he told me once. He said, "Best piece, piece of advice I can give you: marry an English teacher." He said, "They will proofread all your work. They'll make you a better writer. They're great wives." He said, "I did it. Marry an English teacher." So, you know, I've taken some of his advice. That not that one yet, but um, you know, he was a good man, and uh, and Band of Brothers was was. Uh, was everything he set out to make it. And, you know, thank God for Stephen Ambrose because he he really fueled what we do now.
1: Well, as someone who lives in your new area and who is married to a fourth grade teacher, I will happily tell you there are plenty of young teachers (laughs) or single teachers around here that you could probably easily track you down an English teacher. When I first moved to this area, most of the uh, women in the area were teachers because there wasn't a whole lot of, Work really outside of food service and all that, but this whole area's blown up in the last twenty years. But there's chances are you you uh you meet a young lady somewhere. Chances are they'll probably will be a teacher, so uh, that may come to fruition after all. But that's got to be to be seventeen to have an idea to figure out the connections to get all these planes in and get this thing off the ground, and then have someone like Stephen Ambrose come and not only want to ship your event, but like you said, take you know hang out with you, take you guys with him to do what he's doing. I'm sure a party has got to think, wow, we must be doing something right here. It had to be a great way to kind of make you realize that you weren't wasting your time and that you're clearly going down the right path. Absolutely. Don.
3: And he, uh, he told
1: me as we were walking around one day in
3: the hangar, he said, you know, there's an untold story here that you should be looking into. He said, it's about the Tuskegee airmen. And he had, his book was about flying in the 15th Air Force, B-24, uh, George McGovern's plane. And so he was obviously, he was, he was coming across that research about the, the 332nd fighter group. And um, so he was telling us we should be looking into it at that age. You know, sometimes it takes a little while for an idea to sink in. And it was like, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, I wrote Devotion, but in a way, Jesse Brown was a, a version of the Tuskegee Airmen. He was the first black pilot in the U.S. Navy, and they inspired him and he went on to inspire others. And so I got to write the book about somebody very similar um, all those years later. But absolutely, you, you need that that stroke of luck sometimes. But it's, it's funny, his son, Hugh Ambrose, who who worked on the Pacific, wrote the book, The Pacific, you know, he he really carried the ball after his father died. He um he was with his dad during that trip, and and we had dinner at my parents' house, and we're all sit there around the table, and he said something similar. He said, "You guys are doing good work," and he said, "You know, there's a quote that that always inspired me," and he said, "I want to pass it on to you," and, and and I can't remember who said it, but it was he, Hugh Ambrose at the dinner table said, "The harder I work, the luckier I get," and. You know, it's kind of funny that that short interaction, you know, stays with you. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And 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 yeah, it's true. You know, a lot of life is not not just magic happening. I think Hollywood sells us this idea that a uh, you know, gosh, uh life is easy. You know, you just do the right thing and and everything falls into place. Mm-hmm. No. If anything, being a writer has taught me that you know, so many people come to me and they say, "I want to write a book." Uh, tell me how to write a book. Well, the biggest thing in writing a book beyond having a good blueprint and understanding the, how to tell a good story is finishing a book, is being persistent enough to do it. And so I think there's there's something to be said for persistence. You really never yes. lose if you don't give up. And 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 as a writer, you have to learn that every day. You have to repeat it every day because you got to be persistent and you can't give up tomorrow or the day after, even though a lot of this thing I do makes you want to pull your hair out. I mean, it's an exercise in frustration. So the harder I work, the luckier I get. It's a lesson for everything.
0: Adam, do you feel like the, the books that you've done, when you look back over each one, and you, you may have just addressed what I'm about to ask, but is there in every one of them where like the continuity just kind of, you know, fall like the the treads just come off the tank, you know, and then you just have to get things back on track and get remotivated? motivated Has that, i guess every writer struggles with that no matter what they're doing i mean is would you agree with that
3: absolutely and some people call it writer's block henry but i think there's there's a very easy answer for it and that is you get writer's block when you don't have adequate information so if you have enough good quotes and you have an if you've been to the place if you walk the grounds if you know what you're writing about you don't really hit writer's block writer's block comes when you are, when you, when you're unprepared. And so that that's the one thing I would say to anybody who's trying to write and they, they're getting stumped. That's when you've got to stop and you've got to go back to either your research materials. You've got to, you're, you're hitting writer's block, not because your brain is failing you. It's, it's because you lack information to finish the task you've started. You've got to go get that information. So, uh, does that, does that kind of answer, uh, what
0: you were yeah, asking I, it does it does because n- every book is not going to just be this smooth flow this linear process you know it, it, they're going to be hiccups and stumbles so yeah
1: and i want to back Absolute. up to something you said a few minutes ago which i think is very important which is the harder you work the luckier you become and i and well and kind of the writer's block too which i think can uh relate to all sort of content creators if you will to use modern day terms um I started this podcast back in 2018. It was just me in a room talking about living history and then interviewing people and being lucky enough to every once in a while come across a veteran to interview. And as the more I worked on this little podcast, the more connections I made, as we're talking about before the show, through Instagram post and a production being done called Walking Point, I met Jeff, um continue to do some work, interview Jeff and the production company at the, the movie set and then communicate with Jeff. Next thing I know, I'm going out to Texas. Never thought my little podcast would end me up in Texas. He and I got to be friends. I, hey, be my co-host. You know about stuff I don't know about. You give me someone to talk to consistently. So he and I worked this little podcast, worked a little podcast, made more connections Then, you know, a year or so later, Henry came our way. None of this stuff would have happened if I would have done 10 podcasts said, well, that's it. It's too hard, or I've ran out of ideas. You know, sometimes I wouldn't do an episode for a week or two until I went to a living history event or watched something on TV that sparked inspiration, and then I would go research it, and And yeah, it's just the more you work at it, the more connections you make, and the more things fall in line, and things just grow on their own. It's kind of like you hear comedians talk about finding their voice. Well, kind of same thing for whether you're an author, a, a songwriter, a podcast creator, or YouTube creators. After you do something long enough, it kind of naturally finds its own voice and it leads you into different directions. And so you have to be willing to put in the work, even if at the beginning or a few years into it, there's really no payout other than the joy that you get knowing that there's people out there who enjoy your work.
3: Absolutely, Don. I, um, I think back to the times when we had this little homemade magazine of ours and first couple issues, we had five subscribers, 10 you know, we were publishing for nobody. We would go to air shows that first summer and, you know, we had just enough money to get there. And then where do you sleep? You sleep under the wing of a B-17. You know, I remember they used to the, uh, up in Elmira was in the national war plane museum and they had the B-17 fuddy duddy at the time. And we would sleep under the wing of that plane because they let us. Yeah. They'd say, get out of there by eight o'clock in the morning. We're going to run up the engines. But, <laughs> you know, it's fun now to, yeah, sign some books, go to events and, and do all this stuff. Post photos yourself on Instagram like you're cool. But the reality is the, you know, I started just sleeping under the wing of a B-17 because we couldn't afford hotel rooms. Um, we would sell our little magazines from a card table. I mean, we're talking four folding legs, no umbrella. And he'd stand out in the sun at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 at night, selling to sometimes World War II buffs, sometimes kids, sometimes grandfathers. Sometimes you would even get these rich guys that would come up to you. And they were usually warbird owners. And they would like fit a profile. They'd have the glasses. They'd have the boat <laughs> shoes, little short shorts, little yep. white shorts, and like the, the polo shirt. tucked in, And they just... I wish I could say nice things about them, but they would come up and they would say, they'd hold a magazine, they'd leaf through it, and we'd say, Have you heard of uh, our magazine? That's da, 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 two bucks. And they'd put it down. They'd say, Hey, good luck. Good luck, kids. You know, yeah. you're doing a good thing. And they'd walk away. And and now I realized what total, you know, they were. <laughs> At the time, I think we knew too. I think we probably didn't like them either. But the point is, you got to get kicked in the teeth a yeah. lot. And that was a that was a kick in the teeth. I mean, we used to tell people it's less than a hot dog. You know, that was our sales (laughs) thing, you know, buy our magazine. It's about veteran stories, cheaper than a hot dog here. And it was, you know, and I look back and it's like, that's what we had to try to do to make it. That's how we, those are the growing pains. And we got kicked in the teeth and we had to do it a lot. And we had to sleep under a lot of planes. And we did that for summer after summer, after summer, after summer. And we didn't realize that we were actually training ourselves to, to write and also to persevere both of those things. And so, you know, I've heard some people, you know, there's other authors that when I've written a book, they've said, Oh yeah, that, that young rich kid came in and, uh, stole the story I was going to do. And I I was going to write a book about that and he got to him first and his daddy did like, no, there's no dad in the picture. That's funding this. There's no, there's no easy road. Um, just, aggressiveness perseverance and a belief that that anything's possible
1: isn't it funny how when somebody has a desire to do something but not the motivation or the motor and then they come across someone else who's doing it and more successful instead of acknowledging the the drive and the rough and tumbleness of the person who did it they try to find an excuse to make them feel better why they haven't done it yet the other person has. It's just it's so frustrating, and it seems to be more and more of a common occurrence now than it ever has been before. Mm-hmm. You know, you are saying you're sitting out in the heat. Don't sell yourself short. Jeff can attest to this. He's around runways. Uh, you had not only the heat from coming from above, but you had reflective heat coming off that damn tarmac. <laughs> That's one of the things I hate about air shows. Is it's so damn hot yeah. from the tarmac. That reflective heat just you, so you get it from the top and the bottom, and you just you probably you probably left so many shows just looking like a lobster, just completely sunburnt because you couldn't even afford the table to put a, the umbrella to put over your table. Oh, then, then Don, we thought we were getting smart. Um, uh, we went to a show
3: in Frederick, Maryland, it was a CAF show, and um, uh, we thought we were smart. We we're gonna sleep in the car, oh boy, you know, oh gosh, you know it just went from bad to worse. It's like, okay, I'll go back to sleeping on the ground that gets all moist and dewy, you know, in the morning. I'll just take that over sleeping in the car. So, yeah. Yeah, you learn the hard way, but, you know, we paid our dues and 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 that's what's so important I think to to doing anything well. What you guys are doing, you're doing it well because you you you've lived this and you've, you've invested your time and you've 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 paid your dues. I've seen other people come in and try to write world war 2 books and they're coming off of writing, you know, self-help books or other stuff like that. And they just kind of try to step into this world and try to be a World War II author. You know, it doesn't work. You can't do it. You uh, you have to put in the time. And, and everybody here is put in the time. And World War II is the kind of thing you don't just uh, you don't just pick it up overnight. No. Um, but you got to go somewhere.
0: You got to have the inherent love for the subject.
1: Exactly. How do you go about, when you're when you're thinking about a new project or a new book or what have you, how do you make sure that you're not plowing the same old row? I mean, because World War II obviously has been around 80 years. There's been so many books, so many movies, so many topics. And, and Jeff and I, and, and Henry too, we often talk that we enjoy trying to cover topics on this podcast that you haven't seen covered in, in um, so many months of times on every History or Military Channel show. So I assume that when you're thinking about a project, do you take that in consideration? I want to cover something that has been done 30,000 times, or is it strictly, hey, this is what I have a passion for right now, so I'm going for it regardless?
3: You know, Don, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I kind of feel like there's sometimes a little bit of a divine intervention in the projects I've chosen. It's just gone from one to another to another in a magical kind of way. And there have been stories that I've tried to chase that have blown up in my face. One of them was, I really wanted to do a book about the first special service force, the, you know, the force men that were half, you know, American lumberjacks and ski instructors and outdoorsmen. The other half were Canadian outdoorsmen, and they were put together in this mixed nationality unit and trained up in Montana. And the force was just awesome. So I go up to a reunion in Helena, Montana, where the, where the old force men are gathering. And I'm just like, this is my next book. This is my next book. I'm going to do this. And it didn't work. All the guys that I needed to talk to were gone. And I couldn't get the pieces to fall into place. You know, there weren't Americans left who had fought at this battle on Monte Defensa, you know, where they snuck up at night and they crawled up by the ropes and they ambushed the Germans in the pre-dawn hours on the top of an Italian mountain. I wanted to tell that story. There were no Americans left, no here, no American heroes. And I really wanted to have an American basis to this book. There were a few Canadians left, but the pieces just weren't there. And so I had to kind of step aside from that story and look for something else. So I think it comes to another sort of lesson I've learned. And that is um, you walk through the doors that open to you. You know, there were times in my, my early life where I'd try to beat down a door, you know, just yeah. whatever it took. And then you start to see that, you know, something's not working out. Maybe it's because it's not meant to be. And the older you get, you feel that. And so I started walking through the doors that were open and and stories do that. I believe if you're, if you had the right intention and and you're pursuing the right thing, you know, you're going to find your path. And for me, I've, I've somehow stumbled from good book to good book to good book. But I think ultimately you have to say to yourself, what makes, what makes these stories different? You know, I think it's, um, I like I like a story that's got humanity in it and not necessarily the thing we've seen in all those other war movies we were talking about. For so long, heroism was based upon Kill the pal. killing, you know, how many people you killed and how close you were to a real-life Rambo. And And I think where I've been successful is that I've I've kind of erred on the side of what's the human story? And is this guy is a good a good guy? Is he a worthy hero? So somebody like Clarence Schmoyer in, in Spearhead, I mean, just such a humble guy. And at first I didn't I didn't know if there was a story there, but I sat down with him, I started pulling stuff out of him, and I found out this guy this guy was a, a legend and uh and he didn't know it. So um I think finding those humans that you believe in first. There are pilots like that that are just good guys, Bud Anderson types that just they're worth it. And 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 when you're investing in good people and you have good intentions, for some reason those doors kind of open to you. And when they're not opening, well that's a
1: signal. Try something else. Jeff, you have any follow-up questions?
2: Yeah, I I really I appreciate two of the things that that you've covered. One, you know, talking about sleeping under the wing of a B17 and it it kind of reminds me of a saying, I don't know where I came across it, but, it, you know, you know, you you're doing something right uh, when people uh, choose to do something that you didn't have a choice in doing. Uh, and I think that's sometimes a lot of time a, a mark of success, you know, uh, from, you know, a, a prior service member to see guys, you know, get a kick out of sleeping in a foxhole at night. Like, <laughs> you know, um, that, yeah, but, but that's when you knew you, you were doing something because people are paying or going out of their way to volunteer, to do it. Uh, you know, who wouldn't pay now today to camp out under the wing of a B 17, you did it because you had to. And obviously I think that's a testament to the devotion uh, pun intended, uh, that you had in, in your mission. And, um, and I think you're absolutely right too. And and Don mentioned as well. Um, you know, I, I think I'm probably the luckiest guy I know. And I'd like to think that I'm a pretty hardworking guy too. And things don't just come your way. You know, these guys, these two guys you know, anytime I get a new shipment of books in or some new <laughs> artifact, whatever, you know, I'm Care they're the first Coppsett. ones to know about it. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like rubbing it in their face, but you know, at the same time, it's, Yes, um. successfully
0: you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, man, send some of this stuff my way. And I know Don's staying the same thing, you know.
1: Yeah, I even put out a plug to get people to mail books to me, thinking they're mailing them, to him, but it didn't work.
2: <laughs> but but you know, I think it. A lot of it, honestly, a lot of it's because I do. I live in a small town, and a lot of people around here know my passion for World War II. If you say World War II in a hundred mile radius, they're going to say, talk to Jeff Copsetta." right? I mean, that's just kind of how it is around here. Um, and to to have the opportunities, you know, like yourself to kind of be able to expand that, you know, Don mentioned The Walking Point, you know, that was one film that that I was involved in. It was a lot of fun. And I hope there's more that come down the road to to help, you know, uh, kind of leave a mark, um, you know, like, like you have, like you've left the mark on World War II. You know, my mark has been really, More from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, I I have a hard time. I'm not very good at sharing um, some of the experiences that I've been through. I'm not very good at recording, you know, but I I wish I was. You know, I I recall being, um, I want to say I was 12 at Mid-Atlantic Air Show uh, because we knew Robert Morgan was going to be there. And we went, we kind of carpooled. My grandfather was driving his 36 British Railton. Um, that was owned by an advisor to Churchill during the war, and my dad was driving another one of my grandfather's cars. I don't remember the year, but it was an old Auburn, and I'm riding with my dad in this Auburn from New Jersey to the Mid-Atlantic Air Show, you know, in a car that was, at that time, still 67 years old, barely had brakes, you know, and he's trying to run through the gears in this old boat-tailed Auburn, trying to get to the air show, and uh, I have pictures and I have memories and I remember going to school, you know, middle school age, same thing, talking about how I got to meet Robert Morgan, my, my childhood hero. And like you, uh, yeah, who cares next? You know, they wanted mm-hmm. to talk about Emmett Smith,
3: not Robert <laughs> yeah. Morgan.
2: At the time, you know, yeah, so I can, exactly. I can really, I can absolutely r- relate with you. And, and like I said, just from somebody who shares a lot of those same passions and is kind of you know, had a lot of those similar interests, I just, again, I, I applaud you because um, to, to be able to, to elevate your passion, to have dedicated what you've done, to have worked as hard as you you are to to do what you're doing now, um, it, it really is a calling. And uh, just this morning, somebody, one of my students came up to me and said, Mr. Cobb said, why are you so about, why are you always about World War II? What is it about World War II? And I, I you know, if I had time to prepare an intelligent answer, I probably would have. But I just don't, I think World War II kind of chose me. And I feel like that at times. And, I, and I'm pretty sure you probably feel the same way. I think it is a calling to, to answer, uh, maybe even a higher call that we answer sometimes. There I go again. <laughs> but um, uh, the last thing I wanted to leave you with, you know, I, I literally, you can see, this is just a portion of the books It's all about the second World War. These guys know that I'm a huge reader. I have Spearhead next to me only because Higher Call was so good that I sent that book to, to a relative of mine, to my uncle, who's still back in New Jersey. I don't like to let go of books. I don't let people borrow my
1: books, that the truth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it was that good that, you know, he's an aviation nut. He was there as uh, you know, his son, my cousin, we grew up together, same age, going to air shows. And, you know, as these guys are getting older, you know, it, it was, it was my uncle's birthday. I said, you know what, I'm going to send him the best book I think I've ever read on the second world war and I mailed him my copy. So I hope that at least gives you some idea of the appreciation I had for that book, the story of Charlie Brown and Franz Stiegler, to be able to be introduced to that. And, um, I, you know, I can't say enough. I can't say enough. This has been, I feel complete. If we don't have another guest on Once a but I feel complete. I've talked to everybody now. I think that I that I'd really love to have a conversation with and to be able to express my appreciation to you at least somewhat face-to-face man i just it's it's just awesome it's 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 incredible
3: well jeff i i I appreciate it very much and and you're right world war ii chose us and so i I always look at this as you know we're all kind of guys batting on the same team you know we're we're all we all believe in the same thing we all love the same thing and we're all we we we're, we're kindred spirits in a lot of ways and so that's why it's you write these books it's uh you're sharing a story with family and and that family passes on the story and and it doesn't feel like i did anything for you or you did anything for me we're doing it for the reason we're supposed to do it and and it's just it's something so so much bigger than us and and uh yeah i i really appreciate what you said and at the same time i just feel like i'm just the guy who's lucky enough to have the luxury of sitting down and spending eight hours a day doing the same thing for 365 days in a row. And everybody's giving back in a different way. I just have mine and, you know, it's a little antisocial and it's why I haven't met an English teacher yet. But, uh, you know, everybody in this, in this chat has their own way of giving back. And I'm just one small part of it.
1: You know, I think there's something to be said about having the ability to hang out with people who have the shared passion, whether it's, you know, fishing, golfing, or what have you and there's uh, there's been times where I've gone to living history events where sadly that particular year for whatever reason maybe the crowd wasn't as big as we wanted but the guys who were there for the weekend setting up their their impressions and their displays yeah we do it you know we do it to educate the the public but even if the public isn't the turnout's not as great as we want for that event just being there for the weekend around guys who share the same interest not being around computers and cell phones, you know, talking to public, doing our displays and then sitting around a campfire all night, just shooting the shit and and relaying the same information for 24, 48 hours. When you leave there, yeah, the older you get, your body's sore from sleeping on the ground all week and what have you, but you you come away from it refreshed and renewed and almost reinvigorated for the hobby because there's some times where it'll be a few months where I've Between events, especially down here in Florida, because we don't do a lot of them in the summertime, because well, heat and wool don't go well together. And then, like like I said, I just fresh off of a um, event we just did up in Parrish, Florida, over the weekend at the Florida Train Museum. We do every year, and um, it's just it just reignites that fire after you know I got up there Friday night, came home yesterday, and and just it something about being around people who share the same interests with that you do. It it just really you know, it helps the human spirit. Almost. I can't explain. It's Hmm. just something about it.
3: I I agree. And, uh, you know, Don, it's, there's a converse side to it. And that is sometimes living in a country in a world where more people than not don't care. Mm -hmm. Frustrating as hell. And it makes your daily life a little bit difficult at times, because it's almost like we all have encountered this. We've unlocked and encountered this secret knowledge. It's like a, a knowledge of you know, how good humanity can be, how bad humanity can be, and, and kind of this playbook for life. And there's other people that just go about their lives with the blinders on, and all they care about is the dumbest crap. And it's just, it's so frustrating because the stuff that matters, we know the stuff that matters. That's what we've discovered. We've discovered the most important thing in life. And that is that some people have, have made huge sacrifices for the good of others. And 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 that's our fixation, that's what 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 fuels us and, re- and invigorates us. And there's other people that think the greatest thing in life is to go to an EDM concert and to stand packed together and wave glow sticks and bounce up like <laughs> up and down like a toddler. Sure. And so, you know, I think there's just those two polar opposites of people. There's old souls who seem to get it, and there's these young souls who are so naive and they they kind of are driving our society off a cliff. And so it's really, I think that's why this 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 family that we're talking about is so important and so invigorating, because th- those are the people that get it, and we're kind of fighting against a world that, that sadly most don't. So
1: well, there's also I a know, third that's- group that's even worse, and that is the ever-growing group of people who try to find something evil and something that's not there. Mm-hmm. Perfect example. I don't want to get too deep into it, but the event we did this last weekend, we do every year. The synopsis is this. The public buys train tickets. They pull into the Florida Train Museum, and there's Germans walking around. Big old Fossige flag on the building. They hand out German passports. The whole thing is, as you're in German-occupied France, so the civilians who paid right on the train, they are now French civilians being shipped off to a German work camp. And as the train goes down the line, it stops. We have a skirmish. By the end of the day, the Americans liberate the train. You get a little history. There's some worked-out speeches involved, and everybody has a good time. Just this last weekend, we're down during a skirmish on the train. A few of the Germans stayed back. Someone pulled off the street. Now, keep in mind, this event has gone on in this town every year for 20 years. Town is growing. Someone came off the street because they saw the Swastika flag and were raising a holy... What the hell is going on here? Blah, 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 blah. The German reenactors explained this was a living history event. We're teaching about the people of history of World War II, the evils that came along with it. And this woman was just taking pictures, and the only reason she did it was so that she could go online and try to turn it into something that it wasn't and there's so many people have an interest in doing that now just i often say everybody everybody's their own newspaper editor and they're just looking for content and sadly everybody wants the evil content because that's what gets clicks everybody wants to turn something into something that it's not and it's just so damn frustrating especially when it comes to history so so, i've been
3: lucky i've been spared a lot of that don um I've just been very fortunate. I've I've, I've had the good fortune of interacting with good people, and people have been generally respectful. And uh, so knock on wood, I've been able to avoid most of those people. But they're out there. You're right, that third class.
1: Before we uh, wrap it up, Henry, you got any uh, closing thoughts or questions?
0: No, it's just been a great pleasure to have Adam in here. And i was trying to let Jeff take as much time as he wanted to, because I know how bad he's wanted to. And boy. I get it. <laughs> well, I'm a fanboy too. I mean, you know, but um, no, Adam. I mean, it's it's just been so uh, great to reconnect with you. And, and like I said, man, a lot of more things I want to talk to you about. But um, I'm I'm really, you know, I, I I have fond memories back when when you were coming to visit us a lot in '09 and early 2010. Uh, there's uh, Andrea still talks about that picture of you in the kitchen with Jack on your shoulder. <laughs> Jack, and he calls so you Uncle Adam. Now. Yeah, he's Dude, uh, he's probably about your height now.
3: My God, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun, and that's and I, I've always regretted that I I've worked on a chapters different chapters. So I was in the Sid Phillips Eugene Sledge chapter, and I spent two years, and I saw you a lot, and came down to Mobile, and then I shifted gears, and that was when the higher call began, and yeah. started working on that, and then I had to shift and say goodbye to Charlie and Franz, and move on to Devotion, and so on and so forth, and so it, it's been these short chapters, but man, it it lasts forever. And it's, you know, seeing the books on your desks and hearing that it it impacted you, it was all worth it. And the friendships you make. um, Yeah. That's why we do it. And I've held that knife and that K bar in the background there. And uh, you know, things like that. I'm the lucky one. I mean, I I got to spend some good quality time with you.
0: Well, and and, you know, like these guys know, as I circled back around a little over a year ago, ago to get back into the world war ii community man i I sat down and reconnected with the pacific and we don't have to get into it now but i i just i know you and i had some conversations about it but i I had a real change of heart on it
1: it gets better with time doesn't it
0: it it definitely does totally does
1: you know it's interesting because i was at that event this weekend and there were some young new young kids who joined up and i hadn't met and i was just listening to talk and they were one of them had just got introduced to the pacific and i was I didn't join in. I was just listening to his, his thoughts and ideas. And he, he was right in the same camp. He was like, you know, I like the Band of Brothers, but there's just something about the Pacific and and what it got into. He said it was just such a great show. And, and so to see this coming out of the mouth of a 17-year-old, it's like, great. There's still, oh, still some young cool. ones coming our way. So, yep, we had a a few new uh, recruits this weekend. And um, it's just fun hearing them discover the things that we've all been, you know, <clears> watching <throat> or reading for years. And so, Good news is there's, there's young ones out there. We just got to get more of them. That's very good news, Don. Before we wrap it up, um, you want to put out your plugs where people can find you, order your books, etc. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I got to keep the lights on. You would always think that an
3: author after a few hits would get to retire to an island, but, uh, no, no, you could actually, by the end of the day, you could probably make more money working at a Taco Bell as a manager than you do writing these books. Cause you know, you divide up how long it takes, you know, yep. spearhead, spearhead. I worked on that over the course of, you know, seven years, you know, you know, a higher call was, you know, more than that. And you put decades into this stuff. Um, yeah. Valor studios is my, uh, is my go-to these days. We've always, uh, we've made these really cool historical products. And so, you know, when our little magazine was taking off one day, we discovered that, if we sold one piece of artwork from World War II, it was equivalent of selling a a whole box of magazines. So we started doing that side by side just to pay the bills. And it grew into an art business by itself and collectibles. And Henry and I made a couple of paintings together about the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's all storytelling. It's just storytelling in a different means. And in this case, you sell a print, somebody that can hang on their wall. I say, go to Valor studios, you know, check out our artwork. We've got some incredible stuff and, as far as the books go, all my books there are uh, signed by the heroes, and it's like it blows my mind now that we've lost Clarence Schmoyer. That, you know, he signed this, and, and you know he was my friend, and, and and now you can buy that book and you can collect it and you can pass it on to one of your grandkids. And man, these things are treasures,
1: mm. and
3: um, and I'm proud of them. I'm 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 proud to have known these men. I'm proud that their autographs will live on forever, and I'm proud that you can go and buy them and make use of them that's why we do it. If you really want to make money, you don't sell collectibles, you don't do that, you don't work at a museum, you don't you, you don't write books, you go work on Wall Street. You yep. just make money. You know, I'm not in it for that. I'm in it to tell a story. And so yeah. Anybody who wants to check out a, a higher call, devotion, all that stuff, it's on our website. And go see the Devotion movie November twenty third, because there's a lot of real World War II airplanes that are in Korean War markings and they're flying around. And you've never seen Corsairs on the big screen like this. So you know, that's my last thing, Don. Go see Devotion.
1: It's going to be good. And as always, you can head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on the link and that represents this episode, and we will have any pertinent links so you can find them. That way, if you're driving your car or wherever and you didn't have the opportunity to write those addresses down, they can all be found at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Now, before we wrap up the show, I want to say this for the end because, well, it's sad news. Um, about three hours ago, I got word that a friend of mine and a co-worker that worked in radio station with me a uh, mr chris quentin who was a sergeant in the united states army passed away A friday um he was you know we often refer to our fans as the og5 that that refers to all the podcasts here on the digital 410 network and chris was like literally number two he's been listening to our podcast since he and i worked in radio together he was in promotions driving vans handing out t-shirts And, um, when we would do the what's in your head podcast, he was always in the live chats. And so just want to say for the memory of Chris Quentin, thank you, buddy, for always being around and listening to the shows and supporting us and prayers for you and your family. And on that note, I think we will talk to you all next week. We want to continue to thank everybody for supporting the show. We love you all. And we'll talk to you all next week.
3: Digital 410 production. This has been a digital 410 production.